from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. It is Tuesday, and in uh, the Big Apple, the greatest city in the world, in my opinion, the uh, police chief, Keyshant Sewell, has announced that there are going to be robot police dogs. And uh, this is an interesting um, thing because, you know, it wasn't too long ago that we, we thought these things were, were matters of fiction or fantasy. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit more uh, a little bit later. I also want to talk about uh, an article I saw in Reuters where they're repurposing dead birds. Yep, dead birds are being repurposed. Uh, you know, they're using their feathers and creating drones out of these birds that they look like birds, <laughs> like pigeons, if you will. And uh, I just thought that was really interesting. Like, why wouldn't you just want the drone to look like a drone? Why do you got to make it look like a bird? Uh, I guess to make it more covert, maybe the next Chinese spy balloon will be a pigeon from New York City flying over Utah or something like that. So we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. And in hour number three, I want to get into a few different things. One of the things that I want to talk about, uh, again, nothing related to the big headlines of the day, which we'll discuss in a moment, uh, but is auto mechanics, right? We've been talking about inflation and how inflation has really hit so many industries. And one of the industries that it's hit in particular is uh, the auto industry, where you've got used cars that cost about as much as new cars, because new cars are harder to find. And used cars are, you know, now being maintained more, they're being repaired, and that people are keeping them longer, because it's, you know, it's kind of like a uh, a pending divorce with your ex-wife. It's cheaper to keep her, right? And, and that's the truth when it comes to, to used cars. So used car parts have become very costly. And I, I'm just amazed, you know, as I've been doing some car shopping lately and repairing an old vehicle uh, just to make sure it's, it's handy and I might give it to a family member or just sell it or whatever. But I, I was just shocked at how, um, you know, I think inflation something like 35 or 40% on... Um, in the pre-owned car market and on car parts. So I think that's just fascinating. I'm thinking, uh, you know, imagine if it hit every industry like that, right? I think we're at like 15% when you do all the, the math, um, which Biden will say is 6% or 8% or whatever it is. But um, long story short, man, it's expensive. And, you know, uh, if I can, if you'll indulge me to just tell you a story pretty quickly, um, this is something that I find interesting. The other day, I, I my daughter had hit a curb and uh, asked me to get her car aligned. So I took it to one of those chain mechanics. And, uh, you know, like mechanic shops that sell auto parts and do um, service. And they sell lots of tires. And, you know, it's been around forever, hundreds of years or 100 years or something like that. And I've seen them all over the place. And I go in there. And the, uh, the, the reaction has always been the same from people there. And I only really began to notice it because I had a family member that once worked there. And was, you know, started there right after he'd got out of mechanic school and then became a manager and worked there, I don't know, probably seven or 10 years and told me that, you know, this is how they're trained. This is what they do. 
right? I always thought it was, you know, just normal. But you go and, you know, I get the alignment done on the car and fine, everything's aligned. And the guy gives you the, you know, he's giving me the key, but he's got this almost Oscar award-winning performance going on, this jowl movement that's like he's afraid of something. And he's like, hey, you planning on getting the brakes done? And I said, uh, uh, tell me more. <laughs> and he says, well, you, you really got to get your brakes done. You're not going to drive the car like that, are you? And, and, and he says, is this your car? It's clearly not my car. It has like a diamond studded steering wheel and pink stuff in it, all sorts of stuff, you know. And uh, and I just I couldn't help but laugh at, at this this performance because of all of the fearful faces he was making. And it reminded me of the of the family member that I knew uh, that that told me and said, you know, yeah, you just you get you got to put the fear of God in these people. He said, especially if it's a woman, if a woman comes in, I just asked them, you're not planning on driving kids around in this car, are you? And then once they go, yeah, of course I am. And then they say they can't afford the $3,000 job that you just sold them. That should have been 500 bucks because they're 50 bucks because they went there for an oil change. Instead, you tell them, well, you could apply for the blank, blank, blank uh, credit card. And then voila, they finance the $3,000 job. They get a brand new pair of tires while they're at it. They get everything flush this, that, and the third. And, you know, it's a $3,000 bill. And, and they do all of that with the same technique of fear tactics, fear tactics and fear tactics. And this is how... So many mechanics work. And, and again, if you're an auto mechanic, um, I'm not uh, insulting you per se, um, but I'm insulting your colleagues that want to use fear tactics. Um, this type of demagoguery, if you will. Oh, my gosh. It's just it's so out of hand, in my opinion. But I couldn't help but not talk about that. So I want to get your opinions on that uh, maybe in hour number three tonight when we do open Phone America because – uh, is it just me? Is this something that we just do on the West Coast? I mean, on the East Coast or, you know, are things different in the Midwest or the West Coast or down South? Are mechanics super honest there and uh, not using the, uh, hey, you're not going to drive around with kids. You're planning on getting a brakes done, aren't you? You're not going to use this car, are you? You know, all these these um, just hyperbolic uh, fear-based scenarios. Because it reminds me of the way that so many politicians work. And and that's where we are today, right? I think we've got you know, both sides of the aisle. I mean, everybody is, you know, at one point or another, I see different people being guilty of this. Uh, uh, but it seems to be one side more than the other, you know, and it's usually fear-based uh, uh, marketing on the MAGA Republicans, the MAGA Republicans. Uh, but I find it interesting that the other side downplays everything. Like, for example, if you know, there's hearings today, so, all sorts of hearings today on Capitol Hill, um, Senate hearings, um, House hearings. And in one of them, uh, Secretary Miguel Cardona, he's asked a simple question. What is a woman? And, of course, he um, obfuscates from the question uh, because, you know, we're not going to get into that, right? That's, that's the canned response. We're not going to discuss what a woman is. There's so many other things we could talk about. But this is um, Miguel Cartona, the Secretary of Education, at a hearing today with uh, Representative Andrew Clyde. Listen to this. Can you please tell me or can you please define for me what is a woman? Uh, Our focus at the department is to provide equal access to students, including students who are uh, LGBTQ, uh, access free from discrimination. Is that so what's the def? 
what's the definition of a woman? You haven't given me that. You haven't answered my well, question. I think that's almost secondary to the important role that I have as Secretary of Education. My question is not sure secondary. My question is very simple. What is the def? What does HHS say the definition of a woman is? Uh, I lead the Department of Education, and my job is to make sure that all students have access to public education, which includes co-curricular activities. And I think you highlighted pretty well the importance of Title IX and giving students equal access, whether it's scholarship and facilities. Okay, so you're not going to answer my question. Well. And, and there it is, right? That's just how it goes. Uh, he won't define it. And this is fascinating to me, right? Uh, the fact that you feel like somebody's going to give you a gotcha if you dare answer what a woman is. And that's the whole new thing, right? There's a whole documentary on it. There's, there's uh, all sorts of memes about it. What is a woman? What is a woman? What is a woman? The next thing we're going to be asking ourselves is, what is crime? Right? Because now nobody knows what crime is. If you look at what happened over the weekend, uh, yesterday I wanted to talk about this, but we didn't get into it. Uh, but there was all of these, these are like riots and flash mobs of people. I saw one video, I think it was a, like a convenience store, uh, maybe a 7-Eleven, where there was like 200 kids bum rushing the place. And I thought, my goodness, what is going on? Anyway, we're going to talk about that and more straight ahead. Uh, we're going to connect with a former police chief from Detroit who really has his finger on the pulse of things and of course your calls and more our phone number 833-482-5337 833-4-VALDES if you want to join this national conversation so get ready sit back relax this is the beginning of a three-hour ride tonight I think you're going to enjoy it we got some great topics great guests and of course great calls from you guys the listeners all across America we're live we're national and we'll be right back this is America night with rich valdez america at night with rich valdez today we are announcing three new policing technologies in New York City. The K-5 autonomous security robot, the SPOT digital robot, and the Star Chase GPS attachment system. Our job is to fight crime and keep people safe. And these tools are significant steps forward in that vital mission. We are here to get stuff done. Hashtag GSP. All right, that's uh, NYPD Police Chief Keyshawn Sewell last week talking about the unveiling of a robotic police dog and the this egg-looking robot that they're going to use to control the crowd. Now, these are different than the robots that were being um, considered in San Francisco that were going to be able to explode and kill people in in the area of the of the explosion now a, a lot of people are wondering how, how effective this stuff is going to be in controlling crime especially as we come off of a, a weekend of violence listen to this headline in the daily mail hundreds of teens cause fiery chaos in downtown chicago as they torch cars in a rampage organized on social media vastly outnumbered police manage just 15 arrests now if you see the videos to this stuff they're jumping on cars they're like I told you hundreds of them are going in and just ransacking uh 7-eleven and stuff like that uh, more than 100 teenagers gathered in millennium park on saturday the rowdy group torched cars and got into fights before gunfire ended the night two teenage boys 16 and 17 were reported shot but in stable condition and uh 
this is, you know, outside of the norm. Violence might be the norm, but this was like extreme violence, an extreme amount of people, a rather larger uh, than usual mob. And it, to me, the question is, is this going to get worse? So to have that discussion and to give us some insight is uh, former city of Detroit police chief James Craig. Sir, welcome. Hey, welcome. Uh, thanks so much for having me on the show this evening. Oh, you bet. Thanks for coming on, Chief. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about what uh, your reaction is to the you know this video. I'm sure you've seen these videos of uh, you know hundreds of teens uh, all over the place oh, yeah. in Chicago causing all sorts of chaos. It's pathetic, and let's call it what it really is. It's a riot. Chicago had a riot. You know, when you have a mayor who makes a comment that it's wrong to call it mayhem. Well, if it's not mayhem, what is it? I mean, not only we saw the images of uh, the young lady and her companion being attacked. That's criminal. Uh, And then I'm also told that several bus drivers were pulled off the buses. They had a full-blown riot in Chicago. And sadly, uh, I was watching an interview of the uh, young lady who was attacked and robbed earlier today, and she said the police drove by, slowed down, and kept going. Unacceptable, unheard of. And I, I get that, like many police departments across the country, staffing is, is, is low, but, you know, Chicago... When it comes to police deployment, uh, they're the second uh, largest police department in the country, only exceeded by New York. It doesn't mean that they have enough police officers, but uh, they have more officers than the Los Angeles Police Department, where I called home for 28 years. And, and so what efforts were made to prepare for this riotous behavior? Uh, did the department not know uh, that these teens were going to converge on the uh, tourist area and basically riot. They communicate this stuff over social media. I mean, in Detroit, when I was chief, uh, we tracked this. We knew. Uh, and so where is the police presence at? Now, I don't blame the officers on the ground. Please, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that. Uh, you just have a, a political structure in place that is telling the citizens of, of Chicago, again, you got Lightfoot that calls it, well, we shouldn't call it mayhem. And then you got the incoming mayor that says, let's not demonize these young people. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? We don't say anything about the real victims. And sadly, this is too common in, in so many, I call it Democrat-run cities, not all, some when they focus more on the criminal element as victims, but not the real victims, especially those individuals who live in vulnerable communities in our urban centers. It's sad, pathetic. Chief Craig, uh, and this is a question from my own ignorance here, but I would suppose that if you had you know, boots on the ground, anti-crime unit, gang unit, whatever, uh, you have some intel, you have informants, you have whatever, and you're able to to find out what's going on, what's what, you know, shake a few people down or whatever and get some information. Say, hey, there's going to be a huge riot with hundreds of people. 
Um, why isn't that happening? And if it is, what's going on with that information? How would you uh, surmise what's happening in Chicago? Well, I'm not surprised that it's happening in Chicago. I was not surprised what happened in Atlanta, Georgia, several months ago when they had an uprising because yeah. they were building a, a, uh, a training center. You know, the left always talks about we need more training for our police officers. Right. What happens? Uh, the radicals come in, they protest, fire shots at police officers, and so police officers appropriately use the force necessary. And when it was a fatal shot fired, uh, they protested violently. I mean, so where does it end? Now, I would tell you, uh, because I lived through 2020, I was the chief in Detroit. Detroit was one of the only major cities that did not burn. And many people want know, why didn't Detroit burn? And cities like Chicago, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, just to name Seattle, Portland, riots, burning. Because you had leadership, and I don't even like to use the word leadership, people in charge uh, that were derelict in their duty, blatantly. They should have been asked to quit. Police chief stood by their mayors, and nothing was done. I mean, it was appalling to watch, in, uh, I think it was, was in Seattle, where they made the police officers basically, they evicted the police officers from their police station. Oh, and they station. took over the police station. <laughs> Horrible. And, and that was so scary. And called love. But, but you ask the question, why? And then our federal government says nothing, does nothing. This was an organized effort. It was organized. And so when I'm asked a question like you just did, well, do you think it's going to continue throughout the summer? Yes. Unless they set the appropriate tone. If they don't set the tone, this is going to be a bad summer for cities like Chicago, cities like New York. I just saw an image on Fox News moments ago where a police officer was struck in the back of her head by some vagrant with a bottle. Wow. Well, we'll get to that right after the break. Folks, we're on with uh, James Craig, former Detroit police chief. He's going to stick with us. Your calls and more, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. And when we come back, I want to get your take on these Chinese police stations as well. Who knew the Chinese were operating police stations right here in the U.S.? It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, our guest, James Craig. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. America, welcome back. 
It's Rich Valdez, our guest, James Craig, former Detroit police chief. And uh, listen to this. New York Post is reporting after the FBI busted Chinese police stations in New York City. Six more have been exposed in the United States. Uh, This is fascinating, right? Uh, We've got here San Francisco, Houston, Nebraska, Minnesota, uh, law enforcement organizations operated by the Chinese Communist Party tasked with spying on Chinese nationals around the world. Now, again, they, they keep throwing in this caveat that their job is to spy on Chinese nationals. How the heck do we know? Right. I mean, if they're here and they're operating an illegal police station, they can spy on whoever they want. Right. Nobody knows they're here and they're doing whatever they want anyway. Uh, Chief Craig, what do you think about this? You know, it's like the same reason why the communist China flew a balloon over our country mm-hmm. and and got intelligence. And uh, and this administration says, well, we didn't want to take it down. But did you even know the balloon was coming? And why we why didn't we take it out? before it went over Alaska, but instead we let it just go all over the country, fly over bases, and then we take it out. Uh, it's, it's ridiculous. And uh, look, we are not respected on the world stage any longer. And that's why this is happening. It's blatant. You know, the Russians uh, take down one of our uh, $33 million drones, an American warplane, take it down, no consequences. Mm-hmm. Chinese fly their balloon over. No consequences. They got, I don't even like to call them police stations, spy stations. And, and you're right. They're not just spying on uh, Chinese nationals who are now American citizens. Uh, they're spying on whoever they want to. And they're out in the open doing it. And so they're doing it because they don't respect this country. And they're going to continue to taunt us. Uh, they're over in the Taiwan Straits having war games. Uh, they don't respect us, bottom line. And I, I got to tell you, I'm angry when I think about the number of fentanyl deaths in our, our country, 200 oh, per man. day. 200 a day because of what? Open borders. And, oh, let's talk about the fact that the fentanyl is manufactured where? In China. It's then given over to Mexican <laughs> cartels. Uh, and by the way, the Mexican cartels are our enemy. For sure. They're, just, they're, they're our enemy, and we should treat them like terrorists and address it accordingly. And then they bring the fentanyl into our country. And imagine a commercial jet carrying 200 patches, uh, passengers goes down every single day. Well, but Bougie is in charge. He, he wouldn't know what to do. But <laughs> Well, that's racist. Uh, that's what he would oh, say. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, he probably would. Our, our roads are racist, and how about you just derelicting your duty? And you, you are clueless. You were mayor of a, a, a town uh, four square miles, let's say, and that makes you qualified to be uh, the transportation secretary. And we have, what, Southwest was shut down. I don't know for how long today. Couldn't get flights out. So... It's just a feckless administration. You got a, a border czar, i.e., and the vice president, and she's done nothing. She's still trying to figure out the root causes of why we have the migration that we have. Are you kidding me? To cure the borders, period. And and you know what's sad mm-hmm. when I think about everything that's going on, and you know we say well we're sick and tired of the lawlessness in some of our major cities. 
But yet, uh, Chicago had a chance to go in another direction. You know, you got a, a candidate, a mayor-elect, who's already demonstrated that he's anti-police. He said defund the police. He talks in one sense, yeah, what happened was wrong, but we, we just don't want to demonize uh, these young people. And But what about consequences? Uh, does that even matter anymore? So it's a sad state that we are in our country in many places. Very sad. You know, Chief, uh, and being a chief, you would know this better than anybody, but I mean, you know, when I, I used to work for the state in New Jersey, and there was a program the state administered hand-in-hand uh, hand with local police departments, and we kind of would get in the middle of, of, of school districts and police departments that wanted to work together when um, somebody that was underage did something bad, and um, instead of locking them up and throwing away the key, they'd do something called a station house adjustment. And and it was, uh, you know, it was the cops would get involved and give them a stern talking to, and for many kids, it was that scared straight moment that, that set them straight. And, and that was, used to be hailed as, you know, one of the best things that we offered in, in, uh, in our system of, of juvenile justice and whatnot, because it didn't count as a criminal record. And, it, you know, it was a real run in with the police, but people were able to walk away positively from the experience. And, and it, it, the words demonizing these kids never came into the conversation. Nobody was demonized. Everybody tried to help each other out. In, a, in something that I thought, you know, I was probably more uh, more aggressive than most. I was like, ah, throw the book at these kids. You know, they, they'd throw the book at me if I did it when I was a kid. But but I get it. People want to help kids. But it seems like we've come to this place where the conversation's geared toward protecting um, perpetrators, coddling criminals. And I just can't for the life of me explain why. Well, it's the um, current administration. Soft on crime, woke prosecutors. Look at what prosecutors are doing. Look at what judges are doing. And sadly, no one's saying anything. Now, what should happen, you know, I was so appreciative today. Um, I was watching a testimony of the mother, um, mm-hmm. who her son was a uh, Army veteran who was killed. Oh, and yes. Bragged the prosecutor and his response to that crime, um, and she said it best. And and what was real sad is I listened to some of the Democrat lawmakers who really was dismissive of her cries, as if it didn't matter. Yeah. And, and it was sad to hear it. it, it and, and she was traumatized that, and she said it, no one really cares. And that's what we're seeing today, because... In many places, they don't care about the people living in the communities. They just don't. And they take these folks for granted. Or they're going to vote for us anyway, because let's face it, if if you're black, Hispanic, and you live in a a vulnerable community, you're going to vote Democrat because that's how you were programmed. And it's shameful. Even Biden during his campaign told Charlemagne Agard, a radio personality, African American, Mm-hmm. He said, well, if you don't vote for me, you're not really black. I mean, that's how some feel. And it's shameful. And it's time to wake up and start voting for people. I don't care about party right now. Vote for people that are going to serve you, serve your interests, 
And sadly, that's not the case in many, in, in many respects. Folks, we're on with Chief James Craig, former Detroit police chief, all-around great guy, in my opinion. And uh, if you have a question for him, you want to join the conversation, feel free. 833-4-VALDEZ. He's with us for one more segment. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I was waiting for the uh, music to finish there. Okay, so our guest is Detroit Chief, uh, former Chief James Craig. Uh, He's a police executive. He's been with multiple departments. And we have a caller from Charleston, West Virginia, and WCHS. Tommy, welcome. You're on with Chief James Craig and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Uh, Thank you, uh, Mr. Valdez and uh, uh, Chief Craig, for this opportunity. Uh, gentlemen, uh, each or uh, either of you, can you tell me how many places, venues, local or states, have they actually defunded their police departments? And uh, also, uh, how about the more common issue of policemen, uh, in the people, no one wants to take the job, the, the test mm. uh Volume is down very low. I think it's Austin, Texas, which is like 33% off of its table of organization. And I'll listen off the air. All right. Thanks, Tommy. Chief, I'll defer to you on that one. Yeah, you know, uh, he brings up a great point. Um, You know, the defund the movement was alive and well. Certainly uh, the left realized that, you know, that wasn't going to help their position much. So they backed off defund the uh, police and dismantle and re-examine policing. Uh, the far left, the progressives, are, uh, still maintain defunding the police is the way to go, the more so-called moderates. And so it's still alive and well. I mean, there's a lot of lip service when it comes to it now. Uh, they say, well, we don't want to defund the police. Now they're trying to say it's the Republicans who want to defund the FBI. Well, nobody wants to defund uh, any law enforcement. Uh, uh, on the right, independents don't want to see it happen. Has it happened in certain places? I think certainly um, Seattle's done it. Uh, they're trying to, uh, San Francisco might be another one, maybe Oakland. I don't know. There are some cities that are, are trying to back off of it now because it's not a popular thing to do. But here's the bottom line. Uh, the caller brought up recruitment. Yeah, And let's talk about recruitment and retention. Uh, police officers are leaving departments. Uh, they don't feel supported. I don't care about all this lip service. I don't care what the president said. Well, we're going to put money to law enforcement. We're going to train them. We're going to bring social workers in. That's not support. And they know it. And so police officers don't feel supported. Uh, and so they're leaving. And as a result of what 
potential police candidacy, they don't want to become police officers. So recruitment is difficult across the country. It's just not isolated to one city. I know when I was still the sitting chief in Detroit and some officers were leaving to go to other departments that were paying more uh, and they would come back. And I would always ask, them, what made you come back? I said, well, you know, the grass is not greener on the other side. In fact, uh, we appreciate your leadership. We appreciate your support. And I want to come back. Uh, what's interesting, you know, I run into Detroit police officers mm-hmm. almost daily. And um, it's a chief. Wish you were back. You fought for us. You cared about us. We knew that. Citizens say the same thing. And so um, police officers are known. If you're not going to really support the men and women who do this most thankless job uh, in, in the country, then guess what? Uh, they're not going to stay. They're going to leave. Uh, and that's what's happening. All right, Chief, we got another caller from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Peter, welcome. You're on with Chief Rapids. James Craig. Hey, Chief, my name's Peter. I'm from Grand Rapids. I was just wondering, hey, Peter. You've, been talking about, uh, you've been talking about politics. What do you think about... Uh, the Slotkin candidacy. What do you, what do you, uh, what's your kind of read on that poll? Thank you, Peter. Well, you know, Peter, I appreciate that question. Uh, you know, I'm in the middle of really evaluating running for U.S. Senate here in Michigan. Uh, I don't think anything about Slotkin uh, uh, running uh, as uh, unique. One thing I will say about the Democrats, they line up behind the candidate and they do that very well. And so, but I could sit here and complain about what's going on and what should happen. And having been a public servant um, for 44 years, that's my passion. And if, if you're a politician, it's the same thing. You should be about the people. We work for the people. We serve people. And, and so I'm closely evaluating and making a decision as to whether or not uh, I'm going to launch a campaign running on the Republican ticket for U.S. Senate here in Michigan. All right. Thanks, Peter. And, you know, Chief, this is one of those things that, um, you know, I, I hope you give really a strong consideration to because I think wh- whatever level of leadership it is, whatever level of uh, influence and, and uh, policymaking, uh, we need people that know what's going on, that are tried, that are t- tested that, you know, um, have a high yes. degree of common sense. And, and it seems like you, you bring all of that to the table. And and lamentably, that is in short supply nowadays. You would think that, you know, um, we, we would we could get so much of that from a guy like the one we have in the White House, 47 years in, in Washington, D.C. And you'd think you'd you know, do a better job. And lamentably, I'm not, not. A foreign, you know, I'm not a foreign relations expert. But guess what? If I had initiated an execution of removal of U.S. troops out of Afghanistan, I would have done it much better than our president. No doubt. I've, I've had to lead through a, a number of crises. You know, I always talk about 2020, but that's just a, a small part of it. Uh, you know, routinely we have to deal with a crisis situation, whether it's a barricaded suspect, whether it's a, a mass shooting incident, and being able to make decisions on, on the spot, uh, because you, you got to consider that you know sometimes if your decision, if you make a bad decision, God forbid, uh, lives could be lost. And and so I've been in that seat. This is not someone who read it in a book. Flocken talks about having been in the CIA, and she carries weapons, and 
that makes her uniquely qualified, she hasn't walked in my shoes. Uh, I've served uh, Los Angeles for 28 years. I served as Detroit police for eight years, Cincinnati police chief for two years, and Portland, Maine, all great places for two years. I know what's going on on the ground. I've been there. I've done that. Uh, and we need strong leadership today more than ever. And as you point out, it's about common sense. But they want, but people want to know whether mm-hmm. it's the men and women you're leading or a community, they want to know they have someone who is in leadership that's decisive, who's courageous, and is going to, going to protect our communities. And, and let's face it, whether you're a governor, yep. a mayor, president of these United States, the first priority is what? Safety of our public, number one. That's and right. right we now, we are in trouble. All right, Chief. Uh, let everybody know where they can uh, keep up to speed with what you're doing. Well, um, I'm going to be putting stuff out on my LinkedIn initially before. Once I make the decision, we'll announce it, and uh, we'll have a website for you. I wish I could give uh, I'll bring you back on for place. sure. We'll make a formal oh, announcement absolutely. of it. We'll, we'll come on, and um, but I'm excited about the, the, the possibilities, and I was happy to hear from Peter from Grand Rapids. Uh, <laughs> Certainly, it's a very critical place in our state, and um, uh, we want to turn this thing around. All we right, we'll leave it there. Turn it around. You got it, Chief James Craig, former Detroit Police Chief, thinking about a possible run. He'll be announcing it here, hopefully. Chief, I thank you for being with us. Godspeed to you, sir. Okay, you too, my friend. Thank you. You so got much. it. All right, more to come straight ahead. It's Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, so we've got uh, the... The topic of crime it keeps coming up, and we've got cops that are demoralized. We have criminals that are undeterred, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better, does it? Right? It really, it really doesn't. But that's where we are. Now we've got we've got a lot more to discuss. I, I want to get into um, a few things. One of the things is what's what's eating away at the fabric, macro, right? Not micro, uh, but in, in the larger, grander scheme of things, why is America so drastically different? I guess it's because different people have different visions and versions of America that they think are great. And I guess he with the strongest ideas will prevail. Uh, right now, to me, it looks like there's a, a squeaky wheel that's getting a lot of oil. But it's not necessarily the majority. I think the majority's still silent. Anyway, uh, stick with us. We're going to talk about what's going on with declining church attendance and so much more. Straight ahead. America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Live 
from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And welcome to the program. It's hour number two. We're live, we're national, and our telephone number, if you want to join our late night national town hall forum, you're welcome to do so. 833 Valdez, 833-482-5337. And uh, the Department of Justice has charged 40 Chinese Communist Party officers with allegedly targeting United States residents spreading propaganda. We're going to get to that a little bit more straight ahead. Uh, there's also... Uh, this story here that uh, President Biden has been repeating a claim that has been debunked as false, that guns are the leading killer of children in America. It's not true, but he keeps saying it as if he wants it to be true. Um, Then we've got um, the Senate Republicans are pushing for a no confidence vote on the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. And we also found out today that the Biden administration has still been paying the ex-nuclear official, uh, Sam Brinton, who was accused of stealing very expensive luggage uh, and who's now uh, facing a felony charge. He's still on the public payroll. And uh, here's an interesting story right here. Um, Senator Tim Kaine has given the uh, FBI his approval to investigate Catholic parishes in his state. And and this is crazy. He says, look, it's okay for the FBI to put informants in churches. He believes that the the idea that we put these informants in churches uh, is a good thing. Listen to this. He says, I think the key is communication, Cain told uh, ABC. The FBI has a concern that when they go to church and leaders say, hey, look, we have a concern. We don't want your members to get unwittingly caught up in something. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Uh, That's just crazy. Unwittingly caught up in something as if people go to church to start um, radical uh, conspiracies. It's just beyond me. Uh, We don't do this in any other church, right? But we're going to do it in Catholic parishes. Uh, Former FBI special agent Kyle Serafin blew the whistle on the agency's Richmond office investigating the Catholic church with undercover informants back in February. So that's the story on that. Now, I want to talk about church and church attendance and what's going on in America and American exceptionalism overall. And um, to do that, we're going to welcome Richard Battle. He's a a businessman and an award-winning author, and he's with us right now. Richard Battle, welcome. Rich, thank you so much for having us with you tonight. You bet. You bet. So let's let's talk about this. What's your uh, opinion on, on the Fed's? Uh, implanting informants into churches? Well, I think that our Constitution and the First Amendment uh, prohibits that, and it was written not to get faith out of government, but to get government out of faith. And so to me, that is totally antithetical to our democratic republic, our constitutional republic that we have, and we should fight it at every step of the way. 
Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, this is interesting that it happens, you know, a week or two after after Easter. Uh, we got this fire in Cambridge, Massachusetts at a church that was uh, ruled as arson today in their investigation. And it, it just it's shocking to me that there seems there's always been a slight or even an attack on Christianity, in my opinion, in the United States. And and it's it's always been kind of OK. It's been OK to discriminate against Christians as long as you didn't discriminate against other faith groups. And here we are, you fast forward, you know, 10, 10, 15 years, and it seems to have taken a a toll where you've got some declining uh, church attendance, whether it's from COVID, whether it's from fatigue, whether it's from whatever, that's kind of where we are today. And why do you think we're there? Well, a couple of things I can say about that. One is the churches that are going more worldly and adopting social justice and equity and all the political things I think are suffering much more than the churches that are holding on to their biblical truth and the stability and the history uh, and the solid foundation based on Scripture. So that's, that's the first thing. But second, I've seen in my lifetime an increase, and we've been blessed more so than so many other countries to be able to practice our faith but it's increased in the last two generations as the war on Western civilization and the Judeo-Christian ethic has increased, and it's increased at a warp speed, especially in the last four or five years, I believe. And what are you basing that on? Well, I base it on especially how truth, and I heard you talking earlier about truth in your last segment, uh, truth used to be objective. Mm-hmm. And human nature, everyone agreed human nature was the same a thousand or five thousand years ago as it was today. Thucydides, the Greek philosopher, said human nature is the one constant through human history. It's always there. And if we accept human nature is the same, then we can accept an objective truth that's the same years ago, and we can learn from those people in the wisdom of the ages. But what we're having pushed on us today is a moral relativism or a subjective truth. And we hear people talk about my truth, and everyone's encouraged to define, quote-unquote, their truth. And if we go to that type of society, then there's no stability because everyone's justified in doing whatever they want because they can define their truth the way they want to. What what do you think the outcome of that is, if we can just define well, our own truth? Well, total chaos, anarchy, and the fall of the republic, and a, a, a tyranny, and a total totalitarian government, either left or right, long term. So wh- how, what do you posit is a solution to prevent that from happening? Because I think we've seen the, the rise of that in academia. We're seeing the rise of it now in our media and, and in government. And it, it seems to be taking root all over the place where what people define as truth is whatever they feel like it. Well, it is. And, of course, Christianity's uh, waned and been attacked in the past uh, but always survived and revival is the utmost solution to it. But in the meantime, we people of faith have to stand up and protest and fight against these things. And we have to educate young people. And we have to be able to argue, as again, you were talking about in your last segment, our positions and why they're valid. And I think when we do that effectively, people will see that we're speaking truth 
and that objective truth is real and that human nature and the consistency of it over time is real. Because if you think about it, if human nature is consistent, then we can trust the Bible because it would apply today like it did thousands of years ago. We can trust the Constitution as a legal document just like it was 250 years ago because it is consistent human nature. But if human nature changes, as these people are arguing, then the Constitution doesn't mean anything, and it's a breathing document that can be changed, as well as Scripture doesn't mean anything, as well as learning about people in history don't mean anything because we're different than they were. And so that's why it's so important to bring these things up. Uh, I'll give you a simple analogy. When I was a kid, my older cousin and I would play on my grandparents' farm, and in bad weather, we'd play board games, and we'd play Monopoly, and our younger brothers wanted to play, but we wouldn't let them. And, and finally, we were forced to let them play. So what did we do? We changed the rules every roll of the dice so that we fixed the game and we would win. <laughs> and that's the same That's the same thing. If you play Monopoly and don't have consistent rules, that's the same thing as not having truth be objective over a long term, the rules change every roll of a dice, and the people that force power will subjugate the people who cannot stand up for themselves. That's a, that's a great analogy. And, folks, we're on with Richard Battle. He's the author of Made in America by Americans, Not Americans. And we're going to continue uh, discussing the topics in his book. In particular, is declining church attendance, A, going to remain that way, and B, is that responsible for the declining American exceptionalism that we're seeing? We're going to continue that conversation with Richard Battle straight ahead. If you have a question or a comment, feel free to give us a call, 833-4-VALDES, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, our phone number, 833-482-5337. Let's go to uh, Kim in Kalispell, Montana, KOFI. Kim, welcome. You're on with Richard Battle and me, Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Well, thank you. And um, thank you for taking my call. Mr. Battle, I just have a question about um, moral issues, um, evolving theological aspects and Christianity-based issues. I'm not a churchgoer, but I think I have a real, really good moral sense of what's right or wrong. So I'm asking you a question. I'm not being argumentative. Just curious. What's the question, Kim? question is, how can we be so morally based on Christianity? When you say we, what do you mean? Like us three on the phone, or who are you specifically Humans. talking about? Humans in America. Okay, America. All right, thank you, Kim. 
Richard Battle? Well, I think that's that's a great question, and I think our history goes all the way back to the, the Pilgrims and them coming across in 1620 in Massachusetts, and they came for religious freedom. If you go back to the founders in 1776, uh, they were such brilliant men because they made a logical argument for independence. They studied governments in history. They were men of faith, and so they gave us high ideals that we've had a hard time living up to, but those ideals are guardrails on on human spirit because the natural tendency of human spirit is for selfishness, for short-sightedness, for grabbing power and ruling people and not allowing people to live freely and independently. And I believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic that came out of Western civilization gave us these qualities that made us an exceptional country. And there have been so many things in our history that our forebearers have overcome, sometimes through their uh, intrepidness, but oftentimes through God's providence to help us be the country that we've been. And it seems to me as if we're throwing away some of that now for things that are not as solid. And if you ever listen to Thomas Sowell, one of his quotes I love, he goes, much of the history of the Western world in the past three decades is giving up what works for what sounds good. Well put. Thank you, Kim. And, you know, Richard Battle, uh, one of the things uh, with uh, respect to the same question, I think this is a very common uh, uh, question that, that I've heard. It, it happens all the time. And, and it's it's rooted in in the notion that's that's out there that, look, you can be a very righteous, uh, decent person th- that upholds a very high moral standard and you can be an atheist. And, and people are very attracted to this idea that, you know, I can follow the Ten Commandments, never step foot in a church, never have to worship to a God. I can still hold on to any internal rebellion I have against what many people like to call organized religion as opposed to, I guess, disorganized religion. And it, it's um, to, to me, these are just um, fun things that appeal to, to, to young minds. Uh, they never really appealed to me, but I, I know that this is just a very attractive scenario to so many people where they want the morality without the root of the morality, which in my opinion is God and, and, and God's natural law that, that, that we all live by. So what's your response to someone that says, hey, look, I'm an atheist, a deist, agnostic, whatever, and um, I, just, you know, I, I just don't want to do your Jesus thing? Well, I think that's a great question, and my, my position on that is that I first want them to agree that the laws that are set up based on those moral principles are valid and beneficial for everyone, whether you're a believer or not. And then after that, the only thing I can do is share my personal uh, faith in my example, and I'm not perfect, never have been. I've wandered from the faith earlier. Uh, some years ago, my faith was more theoretical, but having lost my only son in another period I'm going sorry through to hear that. 10 months, I went through a divorce, two heart procedures, and a cancer diagnosis. Uh, wow. My faith became an experiential faith then 
that's helped me go forward and prosper and help other people from that. And I would wish that result to everyone, but I certainly don't, I don't wish I had to go through those experiences and I don't wish them on anybody else. Yeah, well, that sounds like quite a story. Uh, in the minute or so that we have remaining, let everybody know uh, in a nutshell, you know, where they can, A, I guess your your best pitch on the book and where they can get the book. Well, thank you. My website's richardbattle.com. People can email me, richard at richardbattle.com. Uh, Made in America by Americans, not Americans, is my ninth book. They're all signed at that site. Amazon has Kindles and audios as well. And basically, this came out of the COVID pandemic, and I got sick and tired of people telling us what we can't do, because what's made us succeed over our history is the American do spirit. And so uh, I repeated some of that. I've got essays in there that try to motivate and inspire people and give them how-to exercises so that not only can they live richer lives, but so that they can pass this along to their children and grandchildren because we stand on shoulders of our giant forebears who went through much tougher times than we have, and we have to buck up through these times and prepare the future for those coming behind us. And um, give us, you know, I guess one sentence uh, on, and if you can, on a cancer diagnosis, a divorce, losing your, your only son, um, and, and the experience you gain from that. What's your best uh, one sentence of advice for everybody listening tonight? Well, I, it's impossible, and I would hate to go through any of that without the faith that I had and the faith I have now, and that's what helped me go through it because it enabled me to look beyond myself and look beyond the moment to a longer period of time in trying to be service to other people. Outstanding. Uh, folks, Richard Battle is our guest. RichardBattle.com is the website. Uh, RichardBattle.com. And the book is Made in America by Americans, not Americans. Richard Battle, what's your uh, social media handle? Social media handle on Twitter is at Richard V. Battle. And we're on all the other social media as well. It'd be funny if it was the V for Valdez. Just kidding. Anyway, check him out on social media. Check out his website, richardbattle.com. Brother, thanks for being with us tonight. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Rich. Good luck on the show, and God bless America. Amen to that. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, there's more to come straight ahead, your calls and more, plus a little bit of uh, more conversation, so don't go anywhere. Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to him. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, we're talking about America. We're talking about all sorts of things. And one of the things I want to talk about is how we got to where we are. We were once a place where, you know, liberals were were fun and we could, you know, kind of go back and forth with them. But liberalism has become despotism. And and this is, a, in my opinion, a sad state of affairs for America. To help us make sense of all of that, 
Kevin Slack, professor of politics at Hillsdale College, is our guest. Professor, welcome. Thanks for having me. You bet. Let's uh, let's talk about this concept of uh, how liberalism has become despotism, and uh, and and your uh, body of work around that. Yeah, I think uh, so. When you when I, when I use the word liberalism, I'm trying to root that in historical context. And the way that you uh, introduced in the show, I think, is great. We usually think of liberals as those mid-century, mid-20th century liberals who prioritize science and reason. Uh, if they had a flaw from the conservative point of view, it was uh, governmental planning. They wanted to plan the economy, plan marriages, families, you name it. But there was something very different uh, between those 1950s liberals and the radicals of the 1960s that rose up to challenge them. And they introduced a whole new set of opinions and philosophical systems. For example, uh, and we're familiar with this today, uh, the whole system of anti-racism, the idea of unconscious uh, white supremacy, uh, the idea of confessing your white privilege uh, and becoming an ally. These are things that begin in the late 60s and in the early 70s. And you can say the same thing for the systems of genderism. Uh, and those different uh, systems uh, took, took hold in the universities uh, and created a veritable priesthood there. Uh, and what's interesting is how they came to be the authority in the United States in the 2010s. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. It was really well put, very succinct. Um, and it was right, spot on. And if we fast forward to recent history, right, we're looking at um, the the presidency of Obama. And uh, I think during those eight years, there was quite a change in a lot of things um, that I've noticed. And there was, you know, we had the, the rise of the Tea Party. And I think uh, conservatives, um, you know, at least um, – philosophical conservatives, um, social conservatives, uh, kind of really started to to coalesce with the Tea Party movement and uh, more establishment types uh, uh, within the Republican Party went one way and you had populists going another way. And, and it seems to – and you had liberals uh, becoming more and more progressive and, and it seemed like that trend wasn't subtle. It it, it may have seemed subtle, but it became, uh, I think, uh, kind of on steroids, this movement. And here we are today. Um, how do you explain that, 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 that change? Well, you know, I, I think it's often called the Great Awakening, this period between 2011 and 2015, <laughs> Good where term. scholars have yeah, – they've, they've looked and they've seen this escalation in the use of words that had only been spoken in the academy before – uh, things like intersectionality, uh, mansplaining, toxic masculinity. Those things have been around for decades, but all of a sudden they're introduced in the mainstream of American culture. Uh, the best way I can understand it is around 2008, 2009, there was a real crisis of legitimacy. Uh, I think uh, all Americans, uh, even those who had supported uh, the war in Iraq, began to look at those, uh, those, uh, that foreign policy and to question it. Iraq and Afghanistan... Uh, and then uh, add to that the uh, the financial crisis, the housing market crisis. And so there were revolts on both the right and the left. On the right, as you mentioned, we had the Tea Party in 2010. Uh, and then on the left, you had Occupy Wall Street in 2011 uh, at Zuccotti Park, right? Hmm. The protest against the 1% versus the 99%. Uh, one of the things that I think stood out about Occupy Wall Street, and various uh, authors have, have written on this, was that they practiced uh, something called the progressive stack. 
uh, and they'd gotten this from anarchist ideals in the late 1990s, and that meant that they would rank order who had the privilege to speak based upon your level of oppression. Uh, and uh, I, I suspect <laughs> that corporations took <laughs> note, funny. and they, they understood, uh, you know what, we can buy these people off. So a movement that began in this protest about class, right, that fed into the whole support of Bernie Sanders, it accompanied different theories like modern monetary theory, a whole new theory of revolutionary violence, uh, that that morphed somehow into Black Lives Matter and diversity, equity, and inclusion. And large corporations realized that they could, uh, they could buy this kind of influence pretty easily. And you had guys like Al Sharpton selling it and access to it. And it became uh, this whole racial grievance industry just kind of blew up even more than it was already because I think Jesse Jackson was a pioneer in that industry as well. So okay, so we we, we go the past irony the, where you oh, have, go ahead. Also, also the irony where you have leftists who ten years before would have been criticizing the largest corporations now defend those corporations based upon the number of diversity hires that they introduce. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's so true, and so many of them are getting laid off. So the great awakening is what you, you're describing. And I want to continue this conversation because I think it's excellent. Uh, let me give everybody an invitation to call if they have a question for Dr. Kevin Slack. He's professor of politics at Hillsdale College. And we're uh, discussing how liberalism became despotism in America. And uh, interesting conversation, to say the least. Uh, the telephone number is 833-482-5337, valdez This is America night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. The Washington, D.C., uh, opportunity scholarships. Mm -hmm. Are you supportive of that effort? You know, I, I certainly want to make sure we support the students that are in the program now, but sir, I don't believe federal dollars should be used for voucher programs. So you're opposed to that? I, I don't want to, I want to make sure the students that are in the program now are supported, um, but I don't believe in using federal dollars to support voucher programs. So that is Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona at a hearing today on Capitol Hill with uh, Congressman John Molinar and discussing scholarships for students, you know, school choice type of thing. Uh, and this, I think, is such a good example of what we talked about uh, just moments ago with, with our guest, Dr. Kevin Slack, professor of politics at Hillsdale College, where we have liberals that, you know, believed in um, kind of mandating and dictating government policy and what should and what shouldn't, uh, these unelected bureaucrats. Uh, and and it, it goes to show that they, they seem to be more radical. They seem to want to take away the rights of parents or, or at least not care for the rights of parents. And I wonder if this is a trend or is this what we should expect moving forward, Dr. Kevin Slack? Uh, I think it's what we can expect moving forward. Uh, when, you know, when I, I wrote the book, I, I initially it only included some of the early historical movements, but I completed the book uh, during the COVID lockdowns, and and that was a real uh, that was a real defining moment for me because uh, I looked at the country around me and I realized, oh, these kinds of emergency powers, uh, all the the freedoms that are being taken by the Democratic Party, by these uh, unelected bureaucrats using emergency powers. 
to make rulings on very dramatic measures, uh, this is what we were looking at for the future. Uh, and so when it comes to, oh, say, the rule in the cities, uh, whether it is parents can, can have some kind of a school choice uh, so that their children get a solid education, this is uh, one way that, that the, uh, the Democratic Party doesn't, uh, doesn't seem to care very much uh, for education. Uh, and when it comes to indoctrinating students in the most radical uh, beliefs, um, you know, they have experts on mainstream media outlets talking about how uh, children should learn about systemic racism at the age of four, or they should question the gender identity, uh, and peeking all the way down into uh, intervening into the family, uh, where uh, now you have bills in Washington State waiting to be signed by Governor Inslee, uh, uh, that, um, that there can be uh, treatments for children without parental consent uh, mm. having to do with gender-affirming care. This is a particularly precarious place uh, because I think once you normalize, A, the nomenclature of uh, gender-affirming care, and and B, the notion that we don't need to consult with parents or that children uh, should be allowed to to get these uh, irreversible, in many cases, uh, types of surgeries, um, this is uh, not only a slippery slope, but I think uh, a third rail. Would you agree? Yes, and that's, uh, you know, when I say liberalism became despotism, I think about how a despotism would have to function, uh, that in order to secure uh, the greatest amount of power, you have to destroy the institutions uh, that might direct people against your own rule. Uh, One of those is the family, and uh, these teachings on transgenderism, uh, their real design is uh, to weaken uh, those affections you find in the family, and really to invade uh, to invade citizens' most intimate spaces, right? It's not just the idea that they have directives through Title IX. It's the idea that you're going to urinate and defecate right beside someone else in what was you thought formerly a safe space. Uh, think about this Riley Gaines swimmer where mm-hmm. she's talking about a, and a biological male who invades the women's locker room and is marching around naked. Uh, that was a place where uh, women and women's sports could get together and feel a sense of camaraderie. They're not allowed to have that under these new rules. Horrible. Folks, we're on with uh, Dr. Kevin Slack. He's the author of War on the American Republic, How Liberalism Became Despotism. And a fascinating take on what's going on. Um, If you're interested in this conversation, I urge you to get a copy of the book. I say get two copies, give one to a friend, because this is the type of thing people, I think, need to know and need to read about. uh, Because we've really... uh, to, to use the word, progressed from liberal to progressive to really despotism in so many ways. Uh, Dr. Kevin Slack, let's talk about the the effects of this shift between liberalism and despotism, uh, uh, at least how you view it, in uh, in the media, uh, the, the free press. Well, uh, I think one of the changes that you see, and this goes on uh, throughout the 1980s, um, and I, I guess I should I should say when we, we mentioned this great awakening, what's really what's really coming together is a union between uh, you know we could call monopoly capitalism, the largest corporations, uh, and the the priesthood that they sponsor to give themselves a form of legitimacy uh, after this crisis period in 2000, 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things that had happened since the early 80s was uh, the growth, the centralization. Uh, of these largest corporations, and in the media, uh, that's one place where we find it, uh, in 1983, there was something like 50 major media outlets. Uh, when you get to the 2010s, it had shrunk into five. Uh, and so you have this, uh, this means to censorship 
uh, on the part of the most powerful people in the country. Uh, thank goodness uh, that there are alternative media outlets out there, right, in, in conservative media. But we saw in the 2020 election the collusion between the FBI intelligence agencies uh, to try to censor any information uh, that would be harmful uh, to the Biden candidacy. Amazing. Just amazes me that this is where we are and where we're at. Folks, uh, Kevin Slack is a professor of politics at Hillsdale College. He's the author of The War on the American Republic, How Liberalism Became Despotism. And he's with us for another segment, so we're going to do that, as well as your calls if you want to pick his brain a little bit. I think this is a fascinating book, and I urge you to get it. Uh, The War on the American Republic. Grab two copies. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We're talking about a really important book called The War on the American Republic, How Liberalism Became Despotism by Dr. Kevin Slack. He's a professor of politics at Hillsdale College. And, Doc, let's talk about the, I guess, the takeaways, right? Um, There's a lot that you put into the book, and we've discussed uh, a a few things. But what uh, can listeners expect when they crack open this book to take away? One of the first things that, that I try to do is to give a, a historical survey of what each of the movements are. So there's a chapter for you know what republicanism is, uh, and then it follows the chronology of American history, who the progressives were, the old progressives who created the administrative state. Uh, why is it that there was a rejection of that older uh, republican regime form, right, where uh, you had elected representatives who actually made the laws, to a regime where they had, uh, you know, legislative reference services that actually wrote the laws, and that Congress delegated lawmaking authority to experts uh, who had the powers of uh, of lawmaking, execution, and adjudication. Right, James Madison's very definition of tyranny. So, talking about those old progressives moving into the mid-century liberals uh, and the big fiscal policies that led to the stagflation of the 1970s touching on the neoliberal uh, movement that I described earlier, uh, a change from the old industrial order to uh, monopoly capitalism, uh, and, then, uh, and then moving into the whole uh, system of identity politics. What is it and what are the criticisms of it, right? These, these systems of racism, genderism, and so on that are being taught in the schools, uh, and, and how it all culminates uh, in that, uh, that despotic rule that we saw uh, under the COVID lockdowns. And then I conclude with a, uh, you know, just some prescriptions. Uh, what are some of the things we as conservatives can, can do about it? What are some of those things that uh, conservatives can do? Well, I think there were a whole, there were a whole uh, bunch of things. Uh, one of them was just the, uh, when you get to the worst forms, you have just civil disobedience, probably the greatest act of civil disobedience in U.S. history, uh, even in a comparison to the 1960s. Uh, where if you lived out in the rural areas, if you live in a large city, it, it's hard for you to understand this, but if you lived in one of the rural areas or if you lived in a red state, there was uh, outright defiance against many of the orders that were placed by the governors, the governor's mandates, 
uh, or the state boards of health. Uh, and by the way, I go back in the history of this. That's another progressive era uh, innovation, delegating these lawmaking powers to state boards of health uh, at the uh, in the early 1900s. Uh, if you get into the Republican institutions that still exist, I think that conservatives saw how these could function. They were really angry when they found out what their kids were and weren't learning in the Zoom classes. When schools mm-hmm. were shut down for two years, they started to show up at the, li- at the uh, library board meetings and the school board meetings, and they started to protest uh, the things that the, uh, the teachers were teaching. Uh, they followed these uh, libs of TikTok, right, uh, where mm-hmm. uh, they could see what elementary school teachers were teaching their children. And they begin to protest, and I think to great and dramatic effect. See the same thing in city councils, in uh, in the elections for sheriff's office, and then in the red states. I think you uh, the lesson for Republicans is that just for a few small steps of defiance uh, against this kind of despotism, you can uh, move out into the front of the Republican Party, or at least be uh, in that inner circle. Uh, you know, Ron DeSantis is a good example of this. Um, uh, but uh, others have somewhat fallen by the wayside, depending on the uh, positions that they've taken. Uh, and I think in the red states, what you see is is a real recognition uh, that there are many bureaucrats who are openly democratic or professors at universities in open affiliation of party that are 90% democratic. And red state taxpayers are saying, why are we funding this, right? Why are we actually paying for partisan government with taxpayer dollars? And they're beginning to question why we have all these administrators, right? The DEI priesthood, which is formed into a literal state church uh, that oversees confession of children and so on. And they're beginning to say, uh, why do we support this and how, what can we do to stop this uh, at the local and the state level? Uh, and then, you know, you could say on into the federal, depending upon uh, how the elections go in 24. Outstanding. If that wasn't enough to sell the book, I don't know what is. I think this is an important book, and I urge you, if you're listening, to to, to buy a copy, buy two copies of the book uh, by Dr. Kevin Slack, uh, professor of politics at Hillsdale College. The book is War on the American Republic, How Liberalism Became Despotism. Uh, Dr. Slack, tell them how they can get the book, where they can get it, and uh, any way to follow you and the work you're doing. Uh, if you go to uh, Encounter Press, Encounter Books online, uh, you can purchase the book there. Uh, any of the any of the book outlets online will have uh, will have copies that you can get. Um, and there are certain uh, pieces uh, that I published uh, that uh, you can access on the website. If you just Google my name uh, and Hillsdale Van Andel uh, Graduate Program, uh, then you'll you'll come across uh, my website with uh, some articles and books that I've written. All right. And is there a social media account that uh, we could mention where people could follow you? No, actually, there's not. Uh, I am not I'm not very uh, attuned to social media. Uh, I don't have a Twitter account, so maybe I need to get one (laughs) (laughs) for this particular reason. All right. Well, the jury's still out on whether we need those or not. But I thank you for being with us uh, and I hope you'll come back soon. Good luck with the book. Thank you so much. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about a bunch of things, including they've banned gas stoves and a court overturned it. We're going to talk about that straight ahead. Plus your calls, open phone America, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Live 
from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? Hour number three, welcome to the program. And if you want to join our late-night national town hall forum, you're welcome to do so, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES. The first-in-the-nation gas stove ban um, has been overturned by a federal court. This was uh, Berkeley, California. And this is uh, what's going on. This California Federal Appeals Court on Monday overturned the city's, uh, the city of Berkeley's first in the nation ban on natural gas lines in new buildings. So it's not only just a gas stove, it's gas heat, gas, anything, no gas in that building. The unanimous ruling sided with the restaurant owners who argued ordinance uh, that this ordinance that the city filed conflicted with federal laws on energy efficiency. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth District excuse me, Ninth Circuit, uh, ruled on the ban, which the city's government passed in 2019 as part of its climate agenda and said that it violated the Federal Energy Policy and uh, Conservation Act of 1975, saying instead of directly banning those appliances in new buildings, Berkeley took a more circuitous route to the same result, said Judge Patrick uh, Bumatay, Bumatay, excuse me, a... Uh, in an opinion written, according to uh, Fox News, it enacted a building code that prohibits natural gas piping in those buildings, rendering the gas appliance useless. By banning gas pipes in new building construction, the city essentially violated the federal law, which prevents local regulations on the energy use of natural gas appliances. So that's what happened to Berkeley, California. Now, you know, there's already a ban on gas stoves and any gas appliance in New York City. That's a, a whole uh, other thing, but it's an actual thing that's going on. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, oh, we were talking about that towards the end of March, uh, that the, the ban on gas stoves is going to be in effect relatively soon. I think the uh, Department of Energy in New York is looking at uh, banning something like 80% of gas stoves in any building that's higher than seven stories or shorter than seven stories or something like that. So anyway. Um, I'll put that out on social media so you can take a look at it, read it on your own time. But man, that's interesting stuff in my opinion. Now, there's another story that I want to share with you guys before we get to your calls, uh, which is this one. The Department of Justice has charged 40 Chinese Communist Party officers with allegedly targeting U.S. residents and spreading propaganda. Uh, The 40 officers of China's Ministry of Public Security Two employees of the Cyberspace Administration of China are charged with conspiring to transmit interstate threats and otherwise harass dissidents and pro-democracy activists living in the United States. So if you say, I don't like China, I don't like the way they roll, I think they're a bunch of commies, I don't like it at all, uh, they're sending the cops here to get you from China. According to the Department of Justice documents, 44 defendants were charged in total. Man. 
So um, that's that. And here's just a quick uh, quote from Brian Peace, the United States attorney for the Eastern District of New York. He says, the Chinese government deploys an elite task force of its national police, the 912 Special Project Working Group, as a troll farm to attack Chinese dissidents in the United States for exercising free speech that the Chinese communist government disfavors and spread disinformation propaganda to sow divisions within the United States. Sounds right to me. And the emphasis was added on Chinese communist government that just said the uh, government disfavors. So um, that article is in the Epic Times, and I will also share that on social media, at Rich Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez. Now, another topic I want to submit for your discussion that I'd love for you to chime in on is my... um, Top of the hour monologue at 10 p.m., hour number one, where I was sharing, you know, I've been getting some uh, maintenance done on my my daughter's car. I've been, uh, you know, getting a few loose ends tied up on my car, uh, Ford Expedition that I'm going to be retiring soon, selling, you know, or using it less, maybe giving to a family member, who knows, uh, in in lieu of a a new, you know, large sized SUV. And and I, I just can't help but take note of how theatrical mechanics have become. And, and again, maybe it's just an East Coast thing. Maybe it's, you know, just me being in this New York area, in Jersey, in the suburb, uh, going to these guys trying to get stuff done. Maybe it's my approach. Maybe it's me. Maybe I come off the wrong way. I could totally see that being the case. But it's like they all want to put on a song and dance and nobody ever wants to come clean and just say, sure, I charge a hundred bucks an hour or this is my fee. You want to bring the parts, you bring the parts. Otherwise we can put the parts in or there's an upcharge if you bring your parts. I mean, just have a fee schedule and You know, there's all these laws saying you can't go to the hospital without the doctors telling you what this costs and what that costs and transparency in healthcare. What about transparency in auto mechanics? Can we just get them to say, yeah, this is what I charge. This is what it's going to cost. And let's, let's get this show on the road. I mean, it's just incredible. I went there to get some brakes done on my kid's car. And why did I go? Because I'd gone to this big chain and uh, for an alignment and they said, oh my gosh. And they come out, you know, with this ridiculously fearful face on like, you know, like they'd been practicing it in the mirror, almost, you know, clutching at their pearls and, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're not, uh, planning on driving on those brakes. Are you, you know, it, they put you in a situation where you don't even know how to answer the question, you know? And of course me, I'm a wise guy and I'm thinking, no, I'm, I don't even use brakes, you know? And then that, you know, to, to, to jar them a little bit because I don't know what's going on. And, and, you know, I tell him, tell me more about that. And he goes on and say, well, no, the brakes are really bad. You really got it. And I I know the brakes are not really bad because I had been driving the car and it stopped just fine. Turns out there was one caliper in the car that was stuck and it, you know, it was grinding the rotor. And again, this is all shop talk type of thing, but one problematic brake. Um, But the guy tells me I need four new brakes, four new rotors, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. They want to charge you $550 or $600. Ended up costing a lot less once I took a look at everything. But my question is, what is up with all these fear tactics? And do you guys experience the same thing? Give me a call and let me know because I'm really curious. Uh, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Let's go to Gil, Manila, Philippines, and welcome. Yes, uh, Ricardo, um, you have a great vehicle, the Expedition. Why didn't you want to upgrade it? The 2024 has come out with some very uh, new, innovative uh, features, and they don't have any type of uh, history of electronic problems like the uh, the Range Rover. 
that you almost got stuck with. Yeah, um, this is true. This is true, and it's actually on my list. I don't really favor the the new body style of the new expedition, um, but um, I just wanted to try and you know I I've been a Ford guy. This is my third expedition, and I might maybe get a fourth, but I wanted to deviate a little bit and go GMC, maybe try out Cadillac or Chevy and um, to see what it was like because people tell me that the ride is smoother and whatnot. So, um, you know, I'm dabbling. I'm dabbling because, you know, I'm getting older and I want to be, uh, I want to spoil myself a little. But you're right. Um, you know, some say found on red, uh, on road dead or uh, fix or repair daily. And, um, and I had that experience with the Ford Explorer, which I also had uh, years ago. But, but I can tell you the, the expedition has been very solid. This thing is, is terrific. And uh, it's definitely high on my list of, you know, cars I'd get again. I just looking around. I am just looking around. But, yeah, I think you bring up a good point, Gil. I have a, a standard set of old man's advice to young guys when it comes to picking a, a vehicle like that. Go for now, it. Uh, Ford, Ford makes an Explorer model that they use in police work. Yeah, the interceptor and package. It is, yeah. Well, you can buy the same thing uh, without the, uh, the police car has a, what they call a, uh, the computer, the electronic control module that allows it to go up close to 200 miles an hour. You wow. can't get that in the civilian one. You can't get that ECM in the civilian one. But the thing is, they build those so solid because they have to get through the warranty period. And the police, they beat that crap out of those cars yeah. and they have to make them solid and so i always tell people you're going to buy something if you plan on keeping it it's something that's comparable to what they use in police work because uh, i i drove um grand marquis uh mercury which is uh, similar to the, the old police cruiser oh sure it, yeah the mercury Ma it grand marquis it's just like a crown victoria yeah and it um I got 400,000 miles out of one, and it was still going when I came here. I gave it to a relative. Um, so uh, they're great. And um, that, that's, that was, but, you know, young people, they, they care about what things look like. They don't, they don't care what's under the hood. They care what other people see. And Form over function, Gil. Form over function. But anyhow, well, and I, if you can just, get both, uh, you get both, right? And that's why I like these large SUVs because you know many of them are really attractive cars, and uh, we'll see how it ends up. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm enjoying the. I'm lying. I'm not enjoying it. It's like if I had hair, I'd be pulling it out. Um, <laughs> but but thank you. I do appreciate that advice, and it, it was uh, is a good tip. Okay. Well, you know here. I can buy a used expedition for about $8,000 with very low miles on it. So, and they come out of the same factory in Louisville, Kentucky, that the expedition you drive does. So. Oh, for sure. Listen, I don't doubt it, and I recommend them. And Ford is not paying me to say that. I wish they were, but they're not paying me to say that. Thank you, Gil, in Manila, Philippines. Anyway, more on everything we're talking about uh, when we come back. We're going to go to your calls. I see we've got calls from uh, Montana and Delaware and Iowa and Indiana and more coming in. So keep the calls coming in, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night 
with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. Going straight back to your calls. Let's go to Jesse in Durango, Colorado. KDGO. Jesse, welcome. Hi. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you for taking my call. Um, I wanted to let you know with the old vehicles, uh, you've got to check around a lot because the mechanics, what I've had problems with is. Uh, especially with the older ones, I can't, I got to the point I can't really trust them. Yeah. And, but Are you I saying you can't trust the car them. or you can't trust the mechanic? Oh, can't, it's a mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> One of them, I had been, my dad had passed away and I was trying to get home. Uh, and so the truck was in the shop and it was supposed Sorry to, to hear put, it. Oh, um, thank you. Uh, upper control arms in it so I could get, uh, uh alignment and stuff done on it sure and i put new tires on it guys kept saying it was fine and i took it over to the shop where i the only basically the only shop in town that does alignments for large trucks um got in there and he said you we can't do it because he didn't do the job and i thought you've got to be kidding me i crawled underneath there and found out for sure you know he'd lied like wow. a rug so I went and you know, took a friend with me back to the other guy, but mm-hmm. the other and then bought a new or bought a, a used expedition. Yeah, and uh, I've been tick, real tickled with it, and found <laughs> with I'm not sure if uh, CarShield is. I'm hoping they're still doing it, but with they've started insuring older vehicles or doing for the repair insurance. Mm-hmm. And that way you don't have, I've figured out that you don't have to deal with all the pain and suffering they go with fighting with them. Because I'm used to basically working on the vehicles myself, but this new one is an 04, so it's gotten, uh, I opened the hood one time and I I don't even want to look at this thing. (laughs) Wow. Because you you can't do anything with it because it's all computerized. But CarShield... yeah, I guess bottom line is you get a good warranty, and it it helps you uh, to circumvent those problems. And yeah, look, I love mine too, and uh, nothing better than a good warranty to to help you get along. Thank you, Jesse. I appreciate the call. We're going to continue moving uh, along here. Uh, we're going to go to Sarah in Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Go right ahead. Hey, great talk to you, Rich. I'll try to make this quick. Sure. Okay, I had a friend, she had a new vehicle that she bought that was under uh, warranty from the manufacturer, and yet she had problems that something would come up wrong, make a noise, and she'd take it there, and they would say, well, we didn't hear anything wrong, and they kept poo-pooing it, and then she kept having to bring a guy with her, and then finally they would discover something and fix it. Later on, I asked the guy who owned his own shop, mechanic, 
mm-hmm. asked him why she has such a problem at the dealership with stuff under warranty, and he told me that <clears throat> with stuff under warranty, manufacturer warranty, when the mechanic works on that, he gets contracted at a lower hourly rate by the manufacturer than he does for fixing something that is not under warranty, whereupon he can charge a higher rate. And so he said mechanics are reluctant to take those jobs sometimes, you know. So what they do is they poo-poo it, send you out the door, and then hope when you come back again that he's not working that shift and someone else will get stuck with it. So I just uh, share that. Yeah, I didn't know about that. But I did know, like I told you, I have a, uh, a family member that worked at one of these chain mechanic places, and uh, he said the number one, you know, victim for them was was uh, women. That women would come in, and first thing they would ask them is, "You're not going to drive around with kids in the car, are you?" Um, you know. And as soon as that happened, he was able to sell them everything. I mean, we're talking about whatever repair they wanted, and an oil. If they came in for an oil change, they would get the oil change and get everything flushed. They'd buy everything because they would sell them the the store credit card. And, uh, you know, they'd rack up a bill of 2500 or three grand, And he said they did this all day long. And I just thought, man, it's messed up. So, you know, when I had kids, I told them, listen, don't do anything with the car without me because I want to teach you some stuff so that when you go in there, you're prepared because otherwise they'll try and get you. And uh, it's unfortunate, but that's how it is, uh, lamentably, sometimes. And uh, if you have any stories, you know, that, or if you can correct me and let me know that that's not the case where you live, then great. I want to hear from you as well. 833-4-VALDEZ is our phone number. Sarah, thank you for the call. I do appreciate it. And uh, it's always important to know what's going on with these warranties. And um, I also want to talk about uh, some of the other stories that we're, we're, we've got on the table as well. And by the way, just a reminder... If you missed any of the interviews that we had, and tonight we had some really good interviews. Uh, We spoke with uh, former Detroit Police Chief James Craig, who uh, gave us a lot of insight and also let the cat out of the bag and said he might be running for United States Senate in Michigan. So uh, let's keep our uh, ears open for that. Uh, But if you miss any of the uh, excellent, in my opinion, interviews that we're doing, Check it out at richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Richvaldezamericaatnight.com is the website. You can listen to any of the programs we've done in the past. You can also stream the show live. You can also sign up for the podcast, which is free, and get free notifications when a new episode is out. And thank you to everybody who's left a review, positive, negative, whatever. Thanks for the reviews on the podcast. Those mean uh, the world to me. Thank you so much for your kindness. And uh, we're going to continue with your calls straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ is the number. It's Open Phone America. We'll be right back. America, we're talking about all the news of the day today. Uh, obviously, there was a lot to talk about. Uh, the uh, CCP, four, excuse me, 40, uh, 44 to be exact, 44 CCP officers uh, were arrested by the United States Department of Justice for allegedly targeting United States residents to, with troll farm um, activities spreading propaganda. 
That's a real story that's out there right now. Uh, we also have um, our conversation on cars, warranties, and crooked mechanics because I, I've got these mechanics that look like they should win an Oscar. You bring it, the car in for an oil change or an alignment, then the next thing you know, they're clutching their pearls. Going, you're not going to drive the car like that. You're not going to. Are you really? You're not going to put kids in that car, are you? Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's just so over the top with the acting. And, uh, you know, and then they tell you, you know, imagine if you, you broke a window on your home. And you call to get the the window repaired, and the guy goes, "Well, you know, I mean, we could. If, if I were you, I'd I'd replace every window. But but there's only one that's broken, sir. Yeah, but you know what? You want to replace them all. <laughs> Why would I want to replace them all, sir? Well, because you 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 want to do them all at the same time. This way they wear. But but only one's broken. I mean, the, the the logic that you get on things. And again, I get it with headlights and tires and whatever. But I, again, I use my broken window theory, and I'm just thinking: imagine if. Right. Imagine if you're like, yeah, I need my basement painted. They go, oh, well, you know, we might, you might want to paint the whole house. Yeah, you, you might want. You, are you paying for it? Anyway, let's go to your calls. Let's go to Sue in Schwanksville, Pennsylvania, WXDE, coming out of Delaware. Uh, Sue, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Yeah. So I'm calling about the car thing because I'll tell you, when I was a kid, you know, my folks got a divorce, and there was four of us kids and my mom, right? And so she had to get a car once the old man left. So she had this this Chevy Biscayne, this big tank of a car. And whoever, and she didn't have any money, obviously. You know, she raised four of us. And so this guy that she found to work on her car, it seemed like every time she took it in there, then there was, gonna, then there was another thing. You know, like, and it wouldn't be something he would say to her, oh, you have to do this. A week or so later, there'd be some noise in the car or something would be amiss. And she would be taking it back there. This happened all the time. And it finally dawned on her, this guy is basically sabotaging the car. And yeah, it's not like he's cutting the brake lines or anything, but it was always something, nickel and diming her to death. And I had this similar experience when I was much younger, and I had these Type 3 Volkswagens. And, you know, I didn't have any money, and I found a guy. He was not at a dealership. He was a shade tree mechanic. He was supposed to be an expert at VWs. Everybody said he was great. And he was doing the same thing to me, you know. I would take it in there, and then there'd be another thing that would be go wrong, and then there'd be another thing. I'm going to this guy because I don't have money, but yet he's bleeding me to death here uh, trying to keep this car running. And I found so true. Once I was able, mm-hmm. once I was able to make more money later on in life, and I was able to buy a new car. Well, now it's not. It's got a you know a warranty. Well, they're not going to suggest anything because you know, you're not going to be paying for that. You know what I'm saying? Right. You and know, it's so woman, funny you know, to say that. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say, as a woman, you know, how many times, and I was thinking about this when you were talking earlier, how many times did I take my car in, you know, and they're suggesting this or suggesting that? You're afraid not to do it because they do a great acting job, like you said. Yeah, they should get Oscars, Sue. And, and you know, what, what you said about... Uh, and that's an old uh, an old trick. And I, I went to a different mechanic. I asked for a referral at my favorite Cuban coffee place. I was like, hey, where do you guys go for you? And the guy said, go to this guy. He's right over here. So I went to the guy. And he was a super nice guy. But this guy required me to listen to his speech. Right? He had this whole speech about how, listen, I don't work like other mechanics. I'm going to give you a million-point check on your car. And this is a small private mechanic. He's got a, a garage with two lifts in it. And uh, it's his own place. And he tells me, look, I'm going to tell you like it is. I'm going to be honest with you. I use the best parts. I, I want to make sure you're not coming back. It's my name on the line, and I'm guaranteeing the work. 
So I tell him I need, you know, uh, I think I went there for uh, to change spark plugs on my daughter's car. And he comes back and tells, and again, whatever price you want to add on changing four spark plugs in, a, in an older Nissan Altima, go right ahead and add your price in. Fill in the blank. I get back and I go, all right, so what's the damage here, you know, for the spark plugs? He tells me, well, what I found was, and he goes through this exhaustive list, $1,280. I'm thinking, $1,280. <laughs> How do you come up with a number like that? And he tells me, well, listen. I found several things and you want to fix them all. I would recommend fixing them all at once because otherwise, like some other mechanics, which I'm not, he tells me, uh, you know, they'll fix one thing and before you know it, they'll have you there every week. They'll have you there every week with a new problem because they didn't fix everything in one shot because everybody knows you don't fix it all in one shot. This will go bad. That'll go bad. This will go bad and everything will keep going bad. You got to fix it all. Nip it in the butt. And I was like, wow, yeah. And this guy tells me I need four new brakes, four new rotors. Meanwhile, I saw the brakes today once they took them off. And I had three three healthy rotors and three uh, healthy brake pads. They were put in in September of 2022, which is, I don't know, six months ago, whatever, nine months ago, ten months ago. So uh, I don't know how to do math. Several months ago. <laughs> uh, ultimately, I look at all that and I think, man, you know, if I would have listened to this guy, I would have gotten everything. I did replace both rotors in the back and put new pads on both, but I didn't need them in the front. And if you listen to, to some of these guys, you'll just be spending all the money they want you to spend for nothing if they even do the work. And that's the part that concerns me because sometimes people will just say they're doing something and not do it. Anyway, Sue, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Excellent story. Let's go to Vero Beach, Florida, WTTB. John, go right ahead. Yes, good evening. It's a pleasure. I love your show. Great Thank job. Thank you, John. I appreciate uh, it. You're more, more than welcome. Um, I once went to a mechanic, and some people said they had been there to them, and they, they were okay. So I took my old the old Cadillac I used to own. It was a 1990 Eldorado. I took nice. it to their shop, and the mechanic that was working on the car obviously thought I was still in the office. And I, had, I was partway in the office, in the door, but he couldn't see that. And I was kind of watching him out of the corner of my eye. And I saw him taking a can of old waste motor oil and spraying on the lower part of both my rear shocks. Uh, okay. Now, they were wow. air shocks. Right? Oh, yeah, and Cadillac, then, air suspension. Right, air suspension shocks on an old 90 Eldorado, right? Now, I come out, and he says, oh, look. He says, you've got leaks on both your rear shocks. You need new shocks. <laughs> <laughs> And I looked right at him, and I said, no, 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 no. I don't need new shocks on the rear, and I saw you spraying the oil on my shocks. He what, looked what down say? and walked away from me. He didn't even talk to me. Wow. And so I went back in the office and told the manager, I said, you know, I just caught this guy spraying oil on my shocks and trying to convince me that I had a hydraulic leak on my both my rear shocks. And the manager must have been very upset, being like, I can't believe he got caught. I told him never to do that in front of the customer. <laughs> exactly. So now I go to another shop, and I go in there, and the, the, I see the mechanic. I watch him, you see, right? Because I'm, you know, I'm a guy, right? And I'm, yeah. I know cars. This guy takes a rag, stuffs it in my exhaust pipe, and then puts a large uh, mechanic socket in there to hold the rag in place, I guess, or to block the exhaust, gets in the car and get ready to rev it up. You know why? 
mm-hmm. to blow out the blow out the muffler. Yep. Wow. And, and charge me for a muffler. I said, Hey, what are you doing there, man? What, what are you stuffing in my exhaust pipe? And he said, Oh, well, I was just going to do a, a pressure check. I said, No, no, you're not blowing my muffler out, pal. I said, I'm on my car off that lift right now. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. And and it's sad that these are the things that happen. I've heard of all sorts of stories. People spray painting parts that work just fine, just, uh, you know, or cleaning them and putting them back and going, yep, yep, got a brand new one there. <laughs> I mean, instead of just doing the right thing and saying, and again, I don't want to badmouth all mechanics. I was hoping we'd have some mechanics call and say, look, there's a couple of bad apples. But for most of us are really good, but haven't heard from a mechanic yet. I'd love uh, for them to call in. Thank you, Jim and Vero Beach, WTTB. Big shout out to everybody listening uh, out in Vero Beach on W. TTB. And um, we're going to continue with your calls and more. Let's see. Where do we go? Uh, let's go to Lori Colchester, Vermont, WVMT. Lori, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Well, hello, Rich. Thanks so much for taking my call. Hello. I have, my pleasure. Yet, an, I have yet another bad mechanic story. I was going to grad school and I had this old Lynx. Those were sort of like the Ford Escorts, tells you my age. And it was really beat up, but I had to save for school. So I had to put this thing, you know, through the ringer. And I knew I needed rotors and new brake pads. So I bring it into this place. And this mechanic says, do you know these cars are like big lighters? You're supposed to throw them away, (laughs) (laughs) which I didn't think was too polite. And I said, well, you know, I need this done. Can you do it? And, yep, they could do it. So I go back to get the car, and I arrive home going through town traffic. That Fortunately, I hit all the green lights on. And it was a five-speed, so you could go, you know, slowly when you needed to. Get into the driveway, and lo and behold, the brakes don't work. Wow. And and so I was livid. This cost me a pretty good penny. And so I proceeded to drive back to town very slowly and, you know, just waiting for those green lights. And I drive into the station and there he is with all of his buddies at the end of the day and the guy's laughing about my throwaway car and I proceeded to say to him you know I've really had it with you but you know you never did this job do you know you're supposed to bleed the brake line when you proceed to put a new set of brakes on and I said if you're a mechanic and you didn't do that Maybe I need to get under this and do it for you in front of your four buddies. <laughs> <laughs> How did he respond he to that? Just, he, they all just were, you know, they dropped their mouths open and were shocked that I knew that. And I said, I brought it to you because I didn't have time for this. And I said, furthermore, what's the owner's name? And I called the owner and, you know, the next day and said, this is no way to treat a, you know, a client, you know, a customer. And I said, furthermore, you know, I really feel that being a woman, is you get taken advantage of. And I said, I'm never coming to your station anymore. And I'm going to tell everyone I know in town not to come to you. 
That's how it is sometimes. You know, uh, they say uh, a good customer doesn't tell a lot of people all the time, but a bad customer tells like 15 or 16 people. So you want to manage your bad customers. And uh, lamentably, that's how it is. Uh, thank you, Lori, for the call. That was a great story, and I appreciate it. We're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Jim in Danbury, Connecticut, WLAD. Go right ahead. How you doing? Listen, I wanted to change what I was going to talk about because the car mechanic thing has me very interested. I mm-hmm. have a story one time at this local business that I had a problem with my car. One of the garages that repaired it, repaired by alternator, but I had to put pressure on my power steering pump, which cracked it, it being half-casted and half-themed. You know, it, it broke, and so I had to get a new one. So I went to this auto parts store to get the new to get the new one, and it was brand spanking new, the color blue. When I went to their affiliate store or workshop that you know we'll, we'll put it on the car, you use the other one for a trade-in. Well, the one that I gave them was my old one, and they said they were going to put the new one on the car. When I got it back, I looked at the car. I said, "Wait a second, this one is black." He was no, that's the one you gave me. I said, Are "You calling me a liar?" He says, no, it was black. I said, no, it wasn't. It was blue. I went and got four people who were in my car. I said, I showed you guys this morning. What color was it? Blue, 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 blue. They denied it. Then when I went back to the store to confront them, he calls up the store. They go to corroborate the story. No, we sold you blue. And I said, no, you didn't. And then finally I said, you know what? I says, I'm done with you guys. I'm going to keep it on the car. As long as I don't have a problem, I won't have to take you to court. It's been 43 years and I have not done one bit of business with that car, with the uh, auto parts store, because mechanics are like uh, doctors. You have to find the right one and stick with it, because they're all going to try yeah. to take you for a ride. Now, tell me, how long did the power steering pump work? Oh well, it, 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 it worked. I mean, but he obviously, because normally what they do is they'll give you a remanufactured one or regutted yeah. one. But it, it worked. It worked fine. But it was not the one that I gave them. They probably, the guy behind the counter, probably by mistake gave me a brand spanking new one. Because there's, there's a difference between the color sky blue and black. Yeah, no kidding. Unbelievable. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. Let's continue with Linda. Linda in Albany, New York. WGDJ. Go right ahead. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Um, my sister was getting her car fixed, and along the way, she suddenly realized the bills were coming out around the same every time because they'd find something else to add to whatever she originally uh, brought it into, have done. But I myself have lucked out. I uh, feel I've had good luck with the mechanics that... Um, I've been to, but I always got people who were recommended by someone. I didn't just, you know, take a chance on, uh, I always talked to some people that were having good luck with whoever they were going to. You know, Linda, I've also had some good luck. I have a mechanic local to me. This guy's been terrific. The only problem I've run into with him is that he's so terrific He's always got so many cars ahead of me when I go there for the simplest thing, uh, you know, something that would take 15, 20 minutes. 
um, and he could still charge me for an hour of labor. He'd tell me, can you come in two days, three days from now? I mean, that's how long the wait was. And I had to eventually stop going him because I needed somebody who would take care of the car when I brought it in. And uh, it, it's just, um, it, it's tough. You find a good one. It's hard to stick with them sometimes, but you're right. You do got to stick with them. Thank you, Linda. Let's go to um, Mary uh, in St. Joseph, Missouri, uh, listening to KMA in Iowa. Mary, go right ahead. Hola, Rich. Say Hola, I Mary. Saw you on TV last week, and you're oh, adorable. How was my hair? Oh, beautiful. Oh, thank you. I don't you. know how you can keep it <laughs> so neat, and you know, and it goes well with your beard. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And what's on your mind tonight, Mary? Well, I was going to talk about Chuck Grassley, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. He's got a bill. Well, he's he put a bill up to be voted on. It's called the Eagles Act, which is named after the the mascot for the school. Yeah, the Parkland shooting. Parkland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this has something in it about having the Secret Service involved with... Yeah, it seems tracking. like they're trying to include the, um, the, the federal law enforcement somehow into this where they could kind of preempt people. And they're selling it as a good thing. I don't know that it's a good thing. I'm kind of skeptical of federal law enforcement. But, Mary, hang on. I don't want to cut you off, but I do got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right. I asked Mary to hold on. Please do. I also want to get to Rich. I also want to shout out to Frank and Kalispell. He was in D.C. this weekend. I was also in Virginia this weekend. My daughter had a great fashion show. I think I mentioned that yesterday. But Rich in Quincy, Illinois, WTAD. Quickly, go right ahead. Hey, Rich, I want to tell you a story. About 30 years ago, I had a popular Japanese automobile started grinding, making that sound. And I took it to one of those popular brake shops and they said, yeah, you need all four brakes, 400 bucks. I said, okay, fine. I got the money to go pick it up. It was $680 total. And this is two weeks before Christmas time. 30 years ago. That was one of, that was one of the worst Christmases I ever experienced. I bet. I mean, 600 bucks is a ton of money right now. I can only imagine what that was 30 years ago. They really got in your pocket, and it's it sucks that that happened to you. Rich in Quincy, Illinois, big shout-out to you and everybody on WTAD. Big shout-out to KMA in Iowa, and as well as our buddies on KOFI in Kalispell, Montana. Um, the music means they're kicking me out. I can't get back to open phones, but we can do this again tomorrow. So take care. Good night. And God bless. We're looking forward to doing it all again tomorrow. I'm Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.